Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we check in with Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer, for his weekly discussion on macro themes on his radar for the trading week ahead. Urian says recent job reports reveal that the job market is slackening. Excess demand of labour came out of the pandemic, so does this signal a move by the Fed to consider timing of possible rate cuts? Historically, a hiking cycle ends because the Fed has broken something which results in a recession. The inverted yield curve signals a recession could be coming. But it looks like the market is confident that the Fed has stuck a soft landing. But Urian says being right about a Fed pivot and soft landing doesn't lead to what the market would do, as that all depends on price. The market often rallies before earnings recover. As per usual, Urian will be sharing his charts, so please head to at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on December 11th, 2023. Tell us a little bit, we're going to go into it more deeply, but just ultimately what that whole jobs report meant to you and, and ultimately what you think it meant for the Fed this week. So the, the good news is that the job market is slacking slackening right because obviously the inflation problem is driven in part by very tight labor markets um, and there was so much excess demand for labor coming out of the pandemic because so many people dropped out of the labor force uh, during that uh, you know very uh, sad you know chapter in, in all of our lives um, and so the slack is happening fewer jobs are being made available but it's coming from such a high level that that reduction in demand for labor is not creating a recession because it's it's coming from a a level of excess demand. And so if the Fed can pull off, you know, a hat trick by lowering that demand without actually leading to a contraction, then that is the holy grail of soft landings. You know, we'll see if we get there, but that, that is the story. Okay, well, let's dig back into that further because you, there's some some incredible stuff that you'll that you'll point to. It has been a strange year. I mean, we're at the point in December now where we really can look back with a little bit of ground underneath us to say that. I mean, it has been an odd year. What on yeah. what on earth have we come through, and where have the expectations taken us, rightly and wrongly? Uh, it has been a strange year, and at the beginning of the year, we were all myself included, you know, wringing our hands over that dreaded inverted yield curve. And, you know, we know that the timing is very variable, but we do know that the yield curve is always right in terms of, you know, when it's inverted sooner or later, a recession will happen. And and that may very well be the case for 2024, but it hasn't been the case for 2023. If you look at the, 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 the GDP estimates from economists, um, they've actually been rising all year. So coming into the year, we were wondering when that other shoe was going to drop and we are finishing the year, uh, at least the market is fairly confident <clears throat> that the Fed has stuck the soft landing. Um, and you know the employment story that we just <clears throat> uh, covered is a part of that, of course, as well as the fact that at least in the US, large parts of the economy remain um, I wouldn't say immune from rate hikes, but they have been less sensitive to them just because uh, a lot of people, corporations as well as homeowners, they locked in low rates 2020, 2021. They termed out their debt. And so that 
reduces the elasticity of you know how quickly rate hikes are are uh, producing a result. And of course, the inverted yield curve is the result of the Fed <clears throat> raising rates you know more quickly than <clears throat> the long end of the curve can adjust. So it's been quite a turnaround from where we started to now where we're ending. And of course, in a few weeks, we get to do it all over again. We get to do it all over again, exactly. If we go back, so not just to October of this year, but the October of 2022, which is which is what I believe you were factoring in as the lows within the market, and ultimately the place where we, we sort of go up from here. Um, October of this year sort of confirmed that, didn't it? Yes, so um, maybe we pull up slide two. Um, so it has been my thesis, not a high conviction one, but it's been my thesis all along that uh, the market did bottom in October of 2022 <clears throat> and that a fledgling sort of early cycle bull market was being born, one with little participation beyond the mega cap growers. And that, of course, has been the, the big caveat to the bullish thesis. But you see here uh, this cycle overlaid with every other you know, early cycle bull market. And, you know, it, it kind of fits. But if we go to the next slide, I'm showing there uh, small caps instead of large caps. And you can see how little participation there has been. And then, of course, as you mentioned, October of this year, so a year, the anniversary of the bottom, uh, the market was really teetering on breakdown. And actually, if we go to the next slide, slide four, this is the S&P 500 equal weighted index, which is probably my favorite measure for the market. So it, it, it weights all the 500 stocks equally rather than by capitalization. Remember the magnificent seven, the mega cap growers, those seven stocks alone are 30% of the market. So an equal weighted measure is, is a fairer way to see uh, how the typical stock is doing. And what you see here is that the, the equal weighted S&P has been in a state of limbo for the last 22 months or 23 months now. Uh, so that's a long time. And you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, uh, many, many times. But then when you look at the bigger picture, you can see that the trend, you know, goes up. I mean, as it tends to do for stocks, right? The market goes up 60, 70% of the time. You do have these long holding periods that typically follow large gains. And so that stair step, you know, function is fairly common. It's just that this one has taken longer. But coming back to your point about this October, you see how the market uh, was kind of teetering and that e equal weighted index uh, was retesting the lows. Um, the micro caps actually made new lows. So it really looked like a breakdown was about to happen. And then bond yields started to behave and the market came roaring back with very, very strong breath. And today, um, I think 83% of the S&P is trading above its 50-day moving average. So that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good um, backdrop. Um, uh, you mentioned that there, the bullish case is there. There, there is a piece of it is, is this idea of breadth. And, and you, know, you mentioned there where, where this ultimately goes from here, the equal weight side of things. I, I guess the other side of that, though, is just the successful landing of a soft landing thesis and a broadening of the tape. It just sounds like if there isn't a soft, or is one dependent on the other? That's really the question. Um, it's interesting you, you asked that. So in the previous chart that we showed, um, 
you can see, actually, maybe we can pull it back up because I, I did a, a cool little trick on that chart where um, I, I show the, the shading in green and red. Um, normally, when you see a chart, you see recession shading, but here, this is like a heat map that shows how many stocks are above or below their, I think their 200-day moving average in this case. And you can clearly see, as would be obvious, that when the market is rising, obviously more stocks are gonna be above their 200-day moving average. It doesn't tell you who's outperforming, but it tells you that generally speaking, as the market goes up, it, it does broaden. And so if the Fed can stick the soft landing, and certainly that's the narrative that's dominant right now in the market, and this big square in the upper right-hand side gives way to another uptrend, you know, and wouldn't that be nice in 2024, sure. then almost by definition, the, the shading is going to get green. Again, it doesn't mean that the market broadens on a relative basis in terms of who, how many stocks outperform the index. So it could still be a magnificent seven market, but just in a rising tape, more companies are just going to participate. Uh, but my guess is that if, if the Fed does stick the landing, the market will broaden. Uh, there will be less need for investors to hide in these magnificent seven stocks. And they've had a huge run. I think they're up, I don't know, 60% this year. Um, so I, I, it makes sense that at that point, if a soft landing has been achieved and interest rates have peaked for the cycle, then why not own the banks? I mean, they're dirt cheap and why not own industrials? Because at that point, the economy can resume growing. So it would make sense that the tape would broaden and that maybe even non-U.S. stocks would start to, uh, to outperform again. Okay, so let's just push a little bit further and sort of add on the cycle and, and where we are. Because you'll hear, as you say, not necessarily high conviction, con conviction, but you will hear people saying, look, there's no way that we're this far into rate cuts, uh, sorry, hikes, and that we are not at the end of the, coming up to the end of the cycle. I mean, yeah. you'll, and then you'll hear the other argument. So where is the cycle right now? Uh, so let's go to slide 14. And, and, you know, the Fed is meeting this week, um, tomorrow and the day after. So we will get a new dot plot and a new summary of economic projections and, you know, long, long statements and, and uh, press conferences and all that kind of stuff. But Right now, uh, the market is expecting a lot and maybe it's expecting too much. So if we look here, we see the 10-year the yield, we see the Fed funds target rate, which is the, uh, the yellow line, and we see the, the forward curve, which is the orange line. And you can see that the market is now expecting a large pivot. So the market is saying uh, Fed is mission accomplished. They've slayed the inflation dragon. Um, and, um, and, and without killing the economy, because remember, usually a rates hiking cycle ends when the Fed yes. breaks something. And, and so, and then it starts the next easing cycle, which is exactly how it typically goes. But once in a while, uh, you get that soft landing. We've had a couple, you know, 1995 was one, 1966, 1984. 2019 started as a soft landing, but then we got COVID, of course. Um, so it, it does happen, but it's not easy to pull off. But if we go to slide 16, um, there are reasons to believe that maybe it will work. And one of them, of course, is the resiliency of the economy. I mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of interest rate sensitivity and uh, that employment situation 
those are two factors uh, that would argue that we don't need to have a big recession. And the other one is, is, of course, inflation itself. I mean, we get the CPI this week, but the core PCE was released, I think it was last week, um, and that's down to 3.46. That's the orange line in the top panel, down from 5.56. Now, you know, it's not huge. It's not like the CPI that went from 9 to 3. But 3.45 uh, or 4.6 is a lot closer to the Fed's target zone than, you know, than five and a half. And it's interesting, if you look at the black line, which is the actual Fed cycle, and the orange line, it's like one leads the other by a year or two. And so the, th the, the big pivot that you see in that dotted line is really just a reflection of the fact that inflation is coming down. Um, and of course, that was the whole point, right? The Fed wants to tame inflation without killing the economy. And so far, it's doing that. So that doesn't mean that in 2024, it won't be something else. But it's interesting to me to see that the Fed has done this much, um, and it seems to be working. It is, it is sort of incredible. On the earnings front, on the valuations front, you mentioned where the, the so-called Magnificent Seven are, their valuations, what they've gone up by. Bring into us the, the other valuation story and, and ultimately sort of have, have earnings bottomed as well. This is what we need to dig into on the valuation side. Yes, and of course, this is the conundrum, right? That we can be completely right about the Fed, about the pivot, about the soft landing, but it doesn't necessarily mean the market's gonna do one thing or the other because it all depends on what's priced in, right? And so the market is pricing in this very soft landing. And one way to look at this is, uh, let's go to slide seven. So the market you know, will often rally well before earnings recover and earnings are now recovering. So that's the good news, but it's already in the price, right? A, a 13 months ago or 14 months ago, um, the S&P bottomed at a PE of 15 times expected earnings. Today, it's closer to 20. So a lot of this good news is already in the market. And here you see uh, the, blue, the blue bars shows earnings growth. The purple bars show changes in valuation. And you can see that the two uh, sometimes go hand in hand in which you should get a really strong up market or a really bad bear market. But most yeah. of the time, one is zigging while the other is mm. zagging. And if we and if we don't, if we just create a scatter plot of those two series, that's the next chart. Um, I love my scatter plots. Um, you can great. see yeah, you can see that that is a negative slope, right? So the, the the slope goes from upper left to bottom right instead of from bottom left to upper right. So that shows that the two series are inversely correlated. And if we now add uh, the next slide to it, uh, just to give a few examples of how these cycles traditionally move. So the black line is the current cycle. Typically a full cycle starting with high earnings growth and low PEs and then going in the other direction and then coming full circle goes from lower right to upper left back down to lower right. So far we've done half of it and we haven't done the other way around. What And what that means is that Going forward, if earnings come through and they start growing, and remember Q3 was so far the bottom, then what should be happening is that uh, earnings will go up, they will carry prices higher at the expense of a falling PE ratio. So that is typically what will now happen. So, um, you know, unless we get sort of this 
trifecta or bifecta of uh, uh, of uh, higher valuations and higher earnings. But like as, as I just showed, that typically doesn't happen. And so if we go to slide. 12, um, here we can see that the market is, you know, it's poised for perfection. Maybe that's a good title for my 2024 outlook next week. Um, awesome. But you can see it's, it's trading up there, right? 19, 20, 21 times earnings, depending on whether you use trailing or forward. And the only way to explain that is through a low equity risk premium, which you see in the bottom panel. So the equity risk premium which historically is around five, five and a half percent, is down to 3.9. Now that's not, you know, uh, too outlandish, but it's below the average. And if we just force a five or five and a half percent ERP into the discounted cash flow model, which is what I show at the top, you get to a PE of around 17. And that to me sounds like a very reasonable PE. But remember, you know, the, the days of Tina, meaning there is no alternative, those are over. Cash and bonds are competitive, so there really is no justification for the risk premium in the stock market to be super low because it is no longer the only game in town. So if we if we adjust for 5% equity risk premium, which is the historical average, you get to a 17 multiple, and we can get there without a correction because huh. if earnings start to come through, the PE can come down from 20 to 17 um, without without causing an actual correction. So that I think is the is the way a That's bullish twenty twenty four could unfold. That's massive. So interesting. Let's start to fold in some of these questions. More to say on the Fed in a second, but just want to get to um, your thoughts. So taking the magnificent seven, if we took those out, would October's lows of this year still be higher than October of twenty twenty two lows? Yes. So let, let's pull slide four up again. Uh, so that is the equal weighted S and P. And as we mentioned earlier, it's been stuck in a almost two-year-long range, but the lows of that range were October of 2022. And so you can see all the way on the right-hand side that we kind of did a high retest of those lows uh, this last October, but still above the old lows. Now, small caps did a full retest, and micro caps, which is the bottom half of the small cap index, uh, made lower lows. Uh, so there were some breaks there when you look at, you know, relative strength and confirmation or lack of confirmation. There was some definitely, definitely some problems there. But all of those indices that I just mentioned have come sort of roaring back since then. So the, the, the recovery off of that kind of, you know, looking into the abyss part uh, has been impressive. And that I think gives me some solace that finally this this tape is, is acting the way it should for where we are supposedly are in the cycle. So uh, another another investor joining you here today wants to ask about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, just folding that into perhaps a broadening overall tape of asset classes. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, what's happening is that uh, the liquidity picture is improving. I mean, the Fed is obviously still uh, at five and a quarter to five and a half. It's going to be very careful not to promise anything. So my sense is that what the market ex is expecting from a pivot, um, I think there are reasons to justify a pivot, but it probably won't happen as quickly uh, and as much as the market expects, right? But it does make sense that if the employment situation is, is, um, is if the steam is coming off the employment situation, and inflation is down by at least two points already on core PCE, 
there is really no reason why the Fed should be significantly restrictive. And if actually, if we pull up slide 15 for a second, you can see that the Fed is well above what we call the neutral rate. So, so there, there really is no reason why the Fed should stay there if it is accomplishing its goal of slackening the labor market and bringing down inflation. So the, the, the pivot story makes a lot of sense. It's just a question of how much and how soon. And I think the market is probably a little bit optimistic that, it's, that a lot of this is going to happen in 2024, even though inflation remains well above the Fed's target, but heading in the right direction. But when that liquidity you know, start, tap starts to open, uh, Things that are more speculative in nature, which of course would include a lot of crypto, but also meme stocks and things like that, will start to participate. I think for crypto in particular, I think obviously there is you know a lot happening in Bitcoin. Um, gold also briefly went above 2100 a few weeks ago, uh, which didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, real rates are becoming less positive, but still that's, uh, but it, it looked like it was a technical head fake. But on Bitcoin, of course, we're all waiting for news from the SEC. And the sense is that a whole bunch of spot ETFs will get approved before January 10th. That That's when the window, the review window, I think uh, closes. And when you look at, I don't have the charts this week, item last week, but when you look at kind of what's happening under the surface with Bitcoin, there's a lot of things happening in the futures market. So open interest is, uh, is going up a lot. Um, and what that suggests to me is that investors or traders are, uh, it's a bad word, but front running the, the launch, basically. They're, they're buying futures, uh, equitizing a position that they will be able to fulfill, you know, presumably in the next month. And at that point, probably they sell futures and buy spot. So my guess is there's a little bit of a sell the new, buy the rumor, sell the news part of it going on. Uh, and when you look at the futures market, you look at open interest, uh, you, you can see that. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the chart in for next week uh, to show. Okay, that's brilliant. So, so just take us into, we've got, you know, we're, the clock is down to hours before the Fed meets for the final time for this year. Um, bring us into the framework of the idea that a rate, this isn't something that you've said before and you've put, the rate hiking cycle often leads the rate cutting cycle. Does that mean the hikes come faster and the cuts come slower, essentially? Um, it, what it means is that historically, more, more often than not, um, a hiking cycle ends because the Fed has broken something um, and, and that, you know, and so you, you get a recession and then uh, the Fed has to start cutting rates fairly quickly. And, and I, I've shown this chart in the past. I'll bring it back next week. But it shows you that the first easing, the, the first rate cut tends to come pretty soon after the last rate hike. Uh, there are periods and cycles where the Fed will just sit there for a while. Um, and those are soft landing scenarios like in 95, you know, so in 94, Greenspan raised rates 300 basis points. Then he gave back 75 basis points of those rate hikes in 95. You had a soft landing in 94. The market was down 10 percent, but basically was in limbo for a year. Then in 95, it went up 35 percent. But still, the Fed funds rate stayed kind of at those levels for several years all the way to 97 and then 98, then long-term capital happened and then the Fed pivoted again. Um, but I think in this scenario, I think my, not to say my hope, but kind of the glass half full um, outcome would be 
that, okay, inflation's coming down. It's not coming down all the way to the Fed's target, but it's heading in the right direction. And uh, again, that excess labor demand is being worked off. So does that justify a Fed that's 200 basis points above the neutral rate? No, it doesn't. Maybe it should be 100 above the neutral rate, which in which case it can go down to four and a quarter from five and a quarter. Uh, if neutral is three to four, that would still be moderately restrictive, but not excessively so. And so I think that's how the Fed would look at it. Like if things are moving in the right direction, um, but not yet mission accomplished, then why would the Fed remain aggressively restrictive when it when that then creates the risk that you are going to have a recession? So it, it makes sense that the Fed will give some of it back. Uh, the question is, will it give, give back as much as the market expects and when the market expects? And we'll know more from the dot plot this week. But my guess is that uh, Jay Powell and the rest of the Fed will be very careful not to uh, uh, not to ring the bell too soon because then animal spirits will just take off and then uh, that landing on on the inflation front might might not happen because then everything is kind of moving again. So it'll be a delicate um, play on words for for the Fed. Yes, I know. It's always fascinating how they how they manage to thread that needle. There are piles of questions coming in. I do want to just. Uh, get to those very, very quickly. Can you just add a little bit more on the Fed sort of set of facts in terms of the employment picture um, and and really the observation, I think, that you had said about the employment situation is softening. It is happening. Yeah. So let's go to slide 19. And actually, I, I, I didn't even really appreciate, I, I mean, I followed the Jolts report and stuff, but uh, a, a fellow strategist uh, on Wall Street, Barry Bannister, who's absolutely brilliant, he works for Stiefel, um, he, um, he has this chart that I uh, shamelessly recreated, uh, <laughs> with, with credit to him, of course. But in this chart in the top, you, you see a, a picture of employment, how employed the U.S. economy is. And so the gray line, if it's above zero, that means that there's uh, excess labor demand, basically, and when it's below, it means that unemployment is rising. And then the orange line shows the JOLTS report, which shows the number of uh, available workers versus the number of uh, jobs, uh, the, uh, the amount of job demand from, you know, the corp from corporations. And what you can see is that um, following the pandemic or during the pandemic, but especially following it, the, the excess labor was just off the charts. Like that number has never been that high. So the the um, companies were looking for 3.7% more people relative to the labor force than were available. And that number is down to plus 1.3%. So that is a 2.4 percentage point decline uh, in, the, in the excess labor demand. So that it, it's not yet labor slack, right? It would have to be below zero for it to be slack, but it's a lot less hot than it was. And again, in the bottom panel, I showed the Fed funds rate or, or the, the San Francisco Fed's proxy for the Fed funds rate uh, against the neutral rate. And again, the question is, you know, should it be that much above the neutral rate when the things that the Fed is trying to solve for are moving in the right direction. And again, the ultimate hat trick would be for that orange line to take out all the excess um, labor demand, 
without mm -hmm. actually going below the dotted line, which is which means by definition that you get the soft landing because at that point you've reduced all of that excess demand without actually causing a recession. Uh, and you know, I mean, that would be the, the, again the holy grail of soft holy landing. Grail. So we'll, let me, we'll see. What let me see if I can uh, just get in a couple of these questions because they're they're great ones. So. So one of them is a good one. Is it too late to buy bonds? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, so they the ten year hit five percent in late October, and it's come down quite a bit. It went to four point one percent last week. It's closer to four point three. Um, I um, my sense is that you know, in order to get below four, you need a recession. Um, like I, I could see three and a half in that scenario, a soft landing four to four and a half. Um, but let's say, you know, we're at four, three. So real rates are still positive. The 10 year real rate is, is, you know, north of 2%. So I, I think it's still a good time to buy bonds. Uh, it's not as good as it was a month ago, but if you buy the belly of the curve, right? Two years up to 10 years. Um, I think there is still, you know, some some value there because remember the the shorter you go, the more tethered you are to what the Fed is actually doing, and of course a two-year yield will reflect where the Fed presumably will be two years from now. And if two years from now it's going to be lower than it is today, the two-year yield will be lower than the Fed funds rate. But that middle part of the curve, I think, remains the sweet spot because you don't have to deal with the issues of, you know, is the term premium too low on long bonds because the government is issuing so much debt? Uh, and But you do have a play on on kind of where the Fed's going to be from now. And my guess is that a year from now, two years from now, Fed's more likely to be lower than, than higher than where it is uh, today. Brilliant. Um, uh, there is a question about the impact of the U.S. election. I'm going to suggest that we ask you that next time we speak with you. Can I get your thoughts quickly, if you don't mind? on, you know, essentially which sectors you like on the earnings front going forward out of a 30 second. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the banks. I like the industrials. Uh, I like stocks with a high dividend yield. Um, those stocks have not participated in this rally. So the nice thing is that there's a whole chunk of stocks that have just sort of not participated. So then that, which means you don't have to hold your nose and buy, you know, buy stocks that have really rallied a lot already. Uh, so there is a large chunk of the market that, that is, I think, low hanging fruit. And, and so it's the more cyclical dividend growth type names. Fantastic. You always bring us so much to think about. And thank you very much for joining us to, to frame out this week ahead. We'll look with interest. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.